Hey, it's Debbie here. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. But you can also hear the Dave and Dujanovic show live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday, starting at nine, or at KSLNewsRadio.com. Keyword podcast. So text that keyword to five seven five zero zero, and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win. Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. Well, Congress is short one Republican, uh, and they gained a Democrat last night. Uh, New Yorkers voted in favor of the Democrat on the ticket to replace Republican expelled representative George Santos. Oh, that guy just keeps sticking it to the Republicans, doesn't he? Just every time you think you're rid of that guy, he reaches up and he bites you one last time. It's 9.07. And brought to you by Mountain America Credit Union, here's the launch. Sequence engaged. And here's the three things Debbie wants you to know. Countdown. Three. Well, I'll just say Republicans are waking up with a George Santos hangover this morning. Uh, losing a seat in Congress to the Democrats, ouch, in that special election last night in New York. Um, the Republican who was hoping to step into that seat, uh, pretty soundly defeated. I think it was a message. Uh, they're not taking another chance on a newcomer in New York. Democrat, uh, the Democrat who takes over has been there before. Um, he will step in the seat for ousted, uh, the ousted Republican George Santos, who got caught up in so many lies. Uh, not even he could keep them all straight. Yet still, he, well, he feels it was a witch hunt. It's a witch hunt because it, it, it makes no sense that in four months, four months, five months, I'm indicted. You know the saying, meet the new guy, same as the old guy? This is literally the same old guy. He's already served, as you said, three terms in there with uh, outrageously poor approval rating in Congress. Why do we keep electing the same old people? The approval rating is 15% and they just brought back the retread. Countdown to... Well, to celebrate Valentine's Day, we're gonna we're gonna go to the farm. We're gonna take you to the farm. Uh, we're gonna talk about an online romance scam that's targeting middle-aged men, and it's called pig butchering. Hence, why we need to go to the farm. It sounds horrific because it is. This is where beautiful young women contact uh, middle-aged men online and fatten them up, and then slaughter them out of their life savings with promises of love and romance. Invested in a in. A- in the crypto and that she could come to me and we could get married. They said this is a major fraud situation and I'm not the only one. Hmm. What's that term again? Pig butchering. Pig butchering. Yeah, he was brutal. a victim of it. it. Okay, as brutal as that sounds, the reality of it is even worse. To, to just strip people of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, their entire life savings. So Debbie is going to get us protected. Launch countdown one. Uh, the State Board of Education meeting today in a in what we believe is going to be a closed door session. We're going to find out more about that in just a moment. To discuss fellow board member Natalie Klein's Facebook post last week uh, that implied a Utah high school girls basketball player is transgender. The girl 
is not transgender. Now, Klein removed the post and apologized, but the girl's parents were the first to call for Klein's resignation. And since then, city councils, school districts, even Capitol Hill, taking the side of the child who is ridiculed online. Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson. I hope uh, that, the, that the girl in question and her family and her friends and the people in her school and all the kids in the state of Utah know that the governor and I and a lot of people have their backs. They are valued, they are loved, they are needed, and they should never, ever be targeted because of the way they look. I totally agree. I'm also worried that we've done more damage to this situation, trying to hold somebody accountable. Dave and Dijanovic. The launch. Commence. Dave and Dijanovic. Dave and Dijanovic. Special coverage of the top local story. In a few moments, uh, we'll get a live update on today's school board meeting. Um, our understanding is that it may lean into a decision of what, if any, punishment school board member Natalie Klein will face, um, ultimately face. Uh, Utah's second-in-command, Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson, has made it clear what she thinks. I certainly believe that she should resign. Uh, Natalie Klein has no business being in any kind of a position of authority or trust over children. She has lost all public trust. Here's the problem that I that I see. What Natalie Klein did, what she posted, absolutely awful. No question. And the problem is, though, now that it has become this big statewide story, all the spotlight is on the very kid that doesn't want the spotlight, that doesn't deserve the spotlight. And then you have the, the crazy haters out there that are just wrapping this poor girl up into their political motivations, whatever weird thing they have going on. And the very thing that we want is this kid to just be left alone and not be the focus of anything because she was unfairly brought into this. That's exactly the opposite of what has happened right now. Well, calls for Klein's resignation um, have grown significantly. It began with the 16-year-old girl's parents after they found out their child, who plays high school basketball, was being piled on by a bunch of adults on board member Klein's Facebook post. Now, her parents, just to take you back a couple of days, spoke to KSL 5 Television's Shelby Lofton about finding out about this and what they were trying to do to cope with it. Your daughter is being accused of being a boy playing girls basketball. That's what Al and Rachel Vanderbeek were told this morning when school officials showed them a Facebook post featuring their daughter. Utah State Board of Education member Natalie Klein posted this picture with the caption girls basketball dot dot dot. And I started reading some of the comments. I mean, they were just disgusting. The parents believe Klein insinuated their daughter is a boy. To look at someone's outer appearance and make an assumption that they are either playing in the right arena or not based on the way someone looks I don't think is appropriate. The couple describes their daughter whose image KSL is blurring as a tomboy. She cut her hair short because that's how she feels comfortable. She wears clothes that are a little baggy. She goes to the gym all the time so she's got muscles. They told her about the widely circulated post which Klein has since taken down. We just took her in another room and just started telling her the truth. They started telling her the truth and now the situation has grown to the point that lawmakers are considering what they can do legally 
to deal with Klein. Uh, can they impeach her? That's a question mark. We don't have the answer to that yet. Granite School District, where the teen attends high school, passing a resolution, Dave, demanding Klein's resignation, calling the behavior cowardly, harmful, unacceptable. And from what we know, Klein has no has made no indication that she's going to resign, correct? Correct. So this is just prolonging this story, a story that I'm sure this kid and this family would have loved to have been a 24-hour news cycle has now stretched into a week. So despite the demands... It was awful to target, harass, and abuse a child in the state of Utah for adults to do that is pathetic. Uh, As you said, Dave... Klein has not indicated that she will step down. In fact, she put out a written statement on her Facebook page that appears to be doubling down on a right to stay on the school board. Uh, what Klein is saying, straight ahead. Dave, Dave and DeGenevic. Dave and DeGenevic. Dave and DeGenevic. Special coverage of the top local story. We're going to ask Castle 5 Television's Lindsay Ayers in just a few moments who is tracking today's school board meeting. Um... If we anticipate it will result in any firm action against board member Natalie Klein for her Facebook post uh, that implied a girl's high school basketball player is transgender. Just want to remind everybody, she is not transgender. Uh, That post was taken down. Uh, Klein issued an apology, but there have been a lot of cries for Klein's resignation. And for every day this goes by... For every day this stays in the the news cycle and we're talking about it and the lieutenant governor is speaking about it, it's just one day longer that this is a story. And I feel so bad for this kid who probably wants nothing more than to just disappear and just live her normal teenage life. But because this, this board member refuses to take accountability and resign, it just keeps going on and on for this kid. Now, Klein has issued a new Facebook post. Um, I read it. It gave me no indication that she plans to resign, despite the growing calls from school districts, from city councils uh, around the Salt Lake County area, and uh, Lieutenant Governor of Utah. I certainly believe that she should resign. Uh, Natalie Klein has no business being in any kind of a position of authority or trust over children. She has lost all public trust. And what makes this tricky is this is an elected position. And you can't get rid of elected officials very easily, on purpose, by design. So unless she resigns, unless she chooses to step down, getting her out is a far more difficult and process. Can I go over some of the points that she made on her Facebook post, Dave, about this before we get to Uh, Lindsay Ertz, who's standing by live to talk about the school board meeting today. Um, Klein says she wants the Utah State Board of Education to analyze their actions before today's 3 p.m. meeting to see if they're a form of election interference. Uh, We don't know what they're going to do. So I can't really judge that statement until I know what the board's meeting is all about. She would like to defend herself, she says, but feels the board is moving so quickly. They're making it impossible for her to read through all the materials and evidence they've gathered uh, and draft a response. And she feels that hardened criminals get better due process uh, than she is being provided. Now, I would say that 
there's some fairness in that criticism. If she would like to defend herself, she should have every opportunity to defend herself. I think what she did is indefensible, but I would like to hear from her what she's trying to say and how she would defend her actions. KSL Television's Lindsay Ertz, uh, will do you have any indication if Klein will show up to today's meeting? Is she invited to this closed-door session? Yeah, well, I don't have any indication that she will be there. However, I have been told that uh, security will, will actually be really tight today because uh, some of the response that has come from this. So uh, the the process that has happened since the State Board of Education uh, kind of took this up is they go through this process. Uh, what they've done is called an executive session meeting. So this is a meeting that has to be called by the State Board of Education leadership. They've put it on an agenda for 24 hours. But part of that due process is notifying Klein giving her a chance to respond. So that's what her Facebook post is addressing when she claims she hasn't had enough time to respond. It's this process that the State Board of Education is doing to uh, initiate this executive session meeting. And so uh, presumably they have gone through their process of giving her the time to respond by calling this meeting, which requires them to notify her and say, we're going to meet an executive session. What is your response to this? And she's just claiming that it's been too fast. So that is what she is responding to. Now, today's meeting is just that it's this executive meeting where it allows the 15 board members to gather and discuss uh, possible punishments. Now, keep in mind, the State Board of Education cannot remove her from office. Only the legislature can impeach her. But what the State Board can do is they can censure they can strip her of her committee assignments. They can prevent her from not allowing her to put any items on an agenda. They can possibly even strip her of not being able to vote. All of that combined could effectively amount to an impeachment because it virtually renders her useless, for lack of a better word, on the State Board of Education. She has no say. She has no vote, right? So we'll have to wait and see what the board does here, but that's some of the potential action that could come out of today's meeting. Does the board, have they indicated that there will be a definitive decision made after this meeting? Well, yes. So what happens here is they go into a closed-door session for an hour to be able to discuss this, and then on their agenda, they take a vote in public. So the discussion is closed-door, and that is something that is normal for this process. So I know there's some pushback in terms of that meeting should be open to the public. Uh, whether or not it should be is not up to us. It's something they always do in terms of this executive session. Whenever they discuss personnel matters, um, they do it in a closed door executive session so they can discuss freely and then they take a vote in public. So some are pushing for that, that meeting to be open. But this is a normal process for this executive session of the State Board of Education. We're live right now with KSL 5 Television's Lindsay Ertz, who's bringing us up to speed on a state school board meeting. It's slated for 3 o'clock this afternoon. It's going to be a closed-door session. It, uh, we believe it is set to address the situation with uh, fellow state board school member Natalie Klein in that Facebook post about that uh, 16-year-old girls high school basketball player um and we should know more later today during jeff kaplan's afternoon news for sure uh so lynn's just one final question here klein posted her apology about the original post to facebook 
Then she posts her concerns about the board meeting to Facebook. Has she said anything publicly about uh, the calls for her to resign or what her intentions are beyond that, those Facebook posts? Well, no, she hasn't. And I will point out that we have given her ample and multiple opportunities to sit with us as journalists, uh, to hear her, to listen to her point of view, to give her the opportunity uh, to speak her mind. And she has not responded to any of our requests short of sending us just that statement on Facebook. So she has had, at least from my perspective, because I've been the one texting her, uh, the opportunity to go on camera, to sit with us, to to share her point of view here on why she posted this and what her explanation is. And so far, she has not done that. Um, But at the same time, she is afforded due process. So the State Board of Education presumably has given her that opportunity to respond to them. And she even posted an email that she responded to them and said, here's why I think this process is unfair right now. And she's claiming uh, what they need to consider, whether this is election interference. She claims it's within 60 days of her primary election, which her convention is in 60 days. Her primary election is not within 60 days. So there's a difference there in terms of uh, what is considered an election. That's true. She's also up for re-election. A great point there. Uh, Lindsay Ayers, as always, thank you so much for keeping us and our listeners up to date. We'll be tracking your stories as they develop today as well on KSL 5 television um, and also following the latest on what happens not only at the school board meeting today, Dave, but remember, we still have lawmakers uh, in discussions about what they can legally do Um, what their bandwidth is, uh, what legal rights they have to deal with this situation with Klein. Absolutely. Accountability is needed, but she is absolutely uh, due uh, process, right? She she can defend herself. She has that right. That would be the the right thing to do. So I I get the, the urgency to get something done quickly, but not sacrificing her opportunity to defend herself. Straight ahead. You know, I don't want to brag that I was right, but I was right. (laughs) I had a feeling that uh, George Santos, the Republican who was expelled from Congress, would lose the seat for Republicans, excuse me, uh, to a Democrat. And that's exactly what happened last night in New York's uh, special election. A Democrat will now occupy that seat Next, we're going to talk to an expert about what this means for the Republican slim majority in the House. America's top political story. Special coverage with David DeGenevic. Oh boy, the uh, George Santos aftershocks just keep coming. Uh, Republican George Santos expelled uh, from the House of Representatives after getting caught up in numerous lies um, and and, in an indictment. There was a special election in Long Island, New York. Uh, The votes were tallied last night. The winner is Tom Suozzi. So he flipped that Republican seat in favor of the Democrats. How many Valentines do you think George Santos is receiving today from all of the Democrats saying, be mine? Thank you so much. Uh, because you just poisoned the district for Republicans. The haters are going to hate. Look, they can boot me out of Congress, but they can't take away my good humor or my larger-than-life personality. Ugh. Ick. So icky. Uh, he has certainly been a thorn in the Republican side, though, uh, since he got elected. They already had such a slim majority in the House. 
Um, and he got he really got under Senator Mitt Romney's skin. Look, he's a sick puppy. Uh, he, he shouldn't be. He shouldn't be there. Yeah, Romney confronted him at the State of the Union address last year, and then had about an hour and a half or two hours to seethe through that State of the Union address, and still was just irate that Santos had scored like a front row seat to the speech. And he's never really taken responsibility for all of his lies. I'm going to fight my battle. I'm going to deliver. I'm going to fight the witch hunt. I'm going to take care of clearing my name, and I look forward to doing that. Well, he he never cleared his name, and he got booted from Congress. And the Republicans, they definitely paid a price for this. They lost a seat that they could barely afford to lose. Right now, Republicans only have a seven-seat lead in the House. Shrink that now to six after Santos. And uh, then there's still a couple of Republican vacancies left to fill. Oh, yeah. Remember, former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, he ejected from Congress in December. So his seat is still up. It, not that it's necessarily that uh, that's scary. It, it's a pretty, pretty conservative district. But uh, it just goes to point out. This lead is getting smaller and smaller for Republicans. Hi, Professor Curry. Good to have you back. Jim Curry, a political science professor at the University of Utah. So Republicans still have the majority, but how significant is the Santos uh, loss? It's significant for the Republican conference in the House because it narrows their margins yet again. Um, In fact, uh, as you saw yesterday, they impeached uh, Secretary Mayorkas by a single vote on the floor of the House. Well, if Tom Swazi already been sworn in, that vote would have failed. And so when you're talking about these really, really narrow margins to do anything, um, losing one seat uh, or seeing your opponent party pick up a seat um, is certainly not helpful at all. It's one of those things, I, when you compare the Democrats to the Republicans, it seems like the Democrats, especially in the House and certainly under Nancy Pelosi, It was lockstep. I mean, whatever they voted, she got all the votes whipped up. Uh, The Republicans don't don't seem to have that same power in numbers. They don't. And, you know, the situations are somewhat different. Pelosi was dealing with a with a Democratic caucus in the House that, while it had its disagreements, also had its mechanisms for working those things out and moving things forward. Um, not only is this House majority just as small, it's now not smaller than what Pelosi was dealing with a couple of years ago, but it has the kind of divisions and the kind of imbalances between the different factions of the party that make it a lot harder to reconcile disagreements and move forward. Um, you know, some of the things that are being brought to the floor tend to be things that are really, really upsetting to one faction of the party or the other. Um, and when you only have three votes to spare, that's a recipe for disaster. Jim Curry is a political science professor at the University of Utah. I love having him on the line when we have discussions about uh, Congress and the makeup of Congress. And last night, um, the Republican majority in the House got even slimmer. Of course, George Santos, a Republican, expelled from Congress, and now a Democrat has won his seat. And uh, Professor Curry, I felt as though the Republican um, lost because she had an R (laughs) behind her name. Um, And I felt like voters in New York just were not willing to take a risk on a newcomer to politics after what happened and how badly they got burned with Santos. 
Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think the while while it's it's it would be easy to read too much into one special election um, that was won by the member by the Democrat who previously held the seat and was a relatively popular House member from that seat and was a relatively popular county executive on, on Long Island before that. And so, like, while it's important not to read too much into what this means for the Republicans or for the effect of Santos, at the same time, you know, it's, it's, it's striking that all of the gains that the Republicans seem to have made in some of those New York State House seats may be evaporating with essentially the Swazi getting like eight percentage points more than uh, his, his predecessor running for that seat two years ago got which may be spell, you know, problems or disasters for other Republicans trying to hold on to their New York state seats um, in New York um, in the House, which essentially would spell the difference between Republicans hanging on to the majority margin in the House of Representatives hmm. or losing it entirely. And so if this is a sign of what it's going to mean for these moderate swing state Republicans going into 2024's congressional elections, then that's not a good sign. One thing that stood out to me in this race specifically was that Swazi ran a unique campaign for Democrats, a very tough stance on immigration, pro-Israel. In fact, I want to play a couple sound bites for you. Listen to the two candidates discuss their stance on Israel. Here's the Republican opponent, Mozzie Phillip. I promise you, the Jewish people, the state of Israel, the American people will make you pay the price you deserve. Now, she grew up in Israel before she immigrated to America, but here's Tom Swazi. What we need are strong, outspoken, pro-Israel Democrats that will stand up for Israel and will stand up to the extreme left. In our final 30 seconds, is this a new playbook for Democrats in 2024? I don't think it's a new playbook. Part of this is that, you know, this is a district that has a lot of Jewish Americans. And so whoever runs from either party has to be pretty pro-Israel to win that seat. But at the same time, what it does signal is that when you're talking about swing seats, the dominant strategy to win them is to nominate moderate candidates. And Tom Swazi is a well-known moderate Democrat in New York, and he won that seat easily. And that's a playbook that both parties should be trying to follow for the next election. Jim Curry, thanks for joining us. poli professor at the University of Utah. Next, if you haven't filed your taxes yet, maybe you're wondering if you're going to refund. Well, early data from the IRS shows the average tax refund is almost 29% lower this year. What? We're, yeah, we're going to find out why from a CPA next. Dave and Janovic. Well, let's go right on the money because it is tax season. And if you have not filed yet, you may be wondering how much of a re- refund you might be getting. Maybe you've already spent your refund. Uh, don't do that. Because uh, we're getting word from the IRS that uh, tax refunds this year are significantly lower than in years past. Why would you say that? I look forward to it. I have all the taxes taken out of my paycheck every single month because I love a big return. And you're telling me, temper my expectations? They're 29% lower on average this year. Stop it. So if you get a $2,000 refund normally, it's do the math. I'm not going to do the math. I don't do math. I'm just saying, do the math. <laughs> uh, so as of, sept- as of f- September, February 2nd, 
the average refund is about $1,400. Last year, uh, the average refund was about $3,200. Oh, for the love. <laughs> what are you doing to me? Susan Spears, um, <laughs> good morning. Good morning and happy Valentine's Day oh, to you thank both. thank you. Thanks so much for spreading the love. Uh, Susan, of course, with the Utah Association of Certified uh, public accountants, a good friend of the show. Uh, always fun to have you on, Susan. Saw you on the hall a couple of weeks ago. Even better to see you in person. So um, so talk about this dilemma and, and why people are getting uh, less money back this year. What do you know about that? Well, a couple things are going on. So I will say these numbers came out, and you're right, 29% lower, but we're those numbers were as of five days into the tax season. Okay. So they're probably skewed. Um, when we look at the refunds, the average refund for 2023 as of December 29th was just under $3,200, like you say. So maybe there's hope. However, a couple things going on. Inflation is hurting us. And so what, what our taxpayers have been doing is they've been um, – opting to have less withheld from their paycheck so that they can spread their money more, which then means come the end of the year when we're filing our income taxes, they may get a bill that they're totally not expecting and they're they're not prepared to pay. So that, that's a little scary there. Oh, that's a great point because people are trying to make up that month-to-month problem, that, that shortfall, so perhaps they're not uh, having as much taken away. That's that's a great, uh, that's a great explanation. Uh, Help us understand, like, because I've always, sorry, I apologize. I've always done my taxes myself. At what point should I say, you know what, this is this is too complicated or this is where I need to have a CPA step in and, and look at my returns? I, You know, there, there are a couple things. I mean, truthfully, a lot of people really can do their taxes on their own. However, if you're going to start doing a little bit of a side gig and you start bringing some money in from that, you better you better talk to a CPA and at least get lined out as to do I need to be making quarterly payments? What can I deduct? What can I? Because these gig economies are taking off because people are trying to supplement their income. Um, if you're starting a new business, if you're adding family members, let's say you're having kids and, you know, what does that mean? Child tax credit. Um, you know, the dependency versus, I mean, a whole myriad of things going there. And then there's also divorce. Divorce, I mean, while it wrecks families, it also wrecks our financial situation, our tax situation. Yeah, I've had friends get stung by this years later, Susan, where they didn't go to an accountant um, because they just traditionally didn't go to an accountant and they went through divorce and then ended up finding out that they owed the IRS more uh, because of the way the children were claimed or the mm-hmm. uh, payments were claimed. Um, and it gets really messy. And so the I don't know what the going rate is these days for CPA. What do you think a, a general rate is for people that have fairly simple taxes? I'm not walking into a, you know, a CPA building with 1,700 file cabinets full of information. Like, it's just, you know, a folder I can carry under my arm, you know, that kind of that that kind of CPA work that I need. Oh, come on, Debbie. We're digital now. 
<laughs> oh, we are? Okay. <laughs> yes. I mean, we're, we're growing up here. That's right. Um, I mean, I have, the challenge is, is every firm is different. I mean, if you go into a huge firm, I know that there are firms that won't touch a return for under 500 bucks and, okay. and, and on up. You know, so I think that, and of course, our association, we can match you up with a CPA that kind of fits your, your size and everything. But oh, good. It's you. It's it's worth the money when you have these life events that are changing your financial situations, and and that doesn't mean that you have to go to a CPA every year. But when these things happen, I mean, you know, I mean, even think about it as your kids start to leave home, we're getting away from the child tax credit, but then maybe we're moving into tuition credits. Yes. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. there's just if different ebbs and flows, so. Um, just different life events, different financial situations. I mean, little hiccups that happen. A CPA is very well worth your money. Is the IRS allowing people to file on their site for free? I thought I saw a story on that. Yes, they have been for a couple of years. If you go onto their website, irs.gov, um, they'll have a they have a list of partners. You know, software companies that you can file your tax taxes for free. If your adjusted gross income is $79,000 or less, now they have about seven providers and they list them there and there's a list of um, uh, requirements or whatever that each provider has. So they've been vetted out. In fact, I noticed this year that there were one or two providers that are not on the list this year um, because of different things that have happened. So not not bad. I mean, it's going to be, again, your basic return. Um, okay. You know, Nothing federal, too filing, yeah, federal filing will usually be free, but state filing, and this is something that catches people off guard. For most of these software packages, you will pay to file your state income taxes okay. electronically. Okay. Okay, that's great information. Susan, just one quick question. we got about uh, less than a minute left. I'm just curious about college tuition. I know a lot of our listeners go to college or they have kids who are going to college. Is that still tax deductible and should we be waiting for forms in the mail from the schools or looking online for forms uh, stating how much tuition was paid or is that just a thing of the past? We're still getting those. It's a 1098-T. Um, you can go on to the university websites and pull those down, or they're being mailed out. I've been seeing a few that have been coming in the mail. So, yes, it, it's still real. Okay. We don't know how long we'll have it, but it's real. But And it's worth the wait and to make sure you're mm-hmm. getting that 1098T before you just go to town on your taxes and miss out on something you can deduct, right? Absolutely. If you itemize, <laughs> otherwise it does you no good. If you're taking the standard deduction, right? Well, so now the uh, the tuition credit is separate from the standard deduction or itemization. It's actually a credit. So it's going against any tax liability. Oh, nice. So, yeah. So, so it matters no matter what. Yeah, I mean, there's some income limitations. I mean, if you're making a million dollars, you're probably not going to qualify for that tuition tax credit. But um, yeah, but it, it's a credit, so it's going directly against the tax liability. I'm thinking about the kids, um, like my own, who are paying their tuition, 
and could qualify mm-hmm. for that tax credit. I think there's a lot of families out there that like to know that and to make sure they're waiting on that 1098T or they have it in their pile of stuff to look at as they're mm-hmm. filing their taxes. Susan, you're literally the best. Susan Spears, uh, CPA, a friend of the show uh, with the Utah Association of Certified um Public accountants always appreciate your insight and information. And we learned something new today. <laughs> it's, it might be worth it, Dave. You've got kids enrolled in, in college. Yeah. Know? No, that'll be, that's the first I've heard of it. So I. You pass the information on to them. Maybe it saves them a few bucks. There you go. All right. Anything we can do to Broke save? college kids always need a dollar well, here why and would there. You, why would you not file for it if you're yeah. eligible for it? You absolutely would want it back. Uh, Straight ahead, state lawmakers have advanced a proposal um, to cut Utah's experiment with ranked choice voting a little bit short. This experiment has kind of run its course and feels like it's on the decline already. And so why keep it going for even one more year? We're going to discuss it next. Hey, it's Debbie here. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. But you can also hear the Dave and Dijanovic show live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday starting at 9 or at kslnewsradio.com. Keyword podcast. So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win. Eye on the Hill 2024. Special coverage with Dave and Dejanovic. There's a Utah lawmaker, Dave, who wants to cut short Utah's experiment uh, with ranked choice voting. And the proposal has uh, now advanced in the legislature. Uh, The bill sponsor's name is Katie Hall. Uh, saying that ranked choice voting in Utah has, it's run its course. This experiment has kind of run its course and feels like it's on the decline already. And so why keep it going for even one more year? Ranked choice voting oh, is tricky. You know, so much of our voting is is like high school. Here's two candidates. You pick your favorite. The one that gets the most, that's the winner. Ranked choice voting has a lot of different layers to it. It requires software to tally the votes. And I think when you lose some of that simplicity, you lose some of the trust. Well, this would repeal it, this pilot project. Um, It was supposed to, the project was supposed to end in January of 2026. So it would end um, in a few weeks. I don't. I think a lot of people have some heartburn with ranked choice voting. Um, they're not quite sure how what it's like. I mean, it just steps away from what we know from voting, and it puts us in just a different mode um, when we're looking at our ballot. There might be some confusion. And I know you spoke uh, briefly this morning to Representative Katie Hall. What What did she have to say? Well, the the big question was why. Why do you think it's kind of run its course? Because this does not affect all elections. This is not being used to select the governor or mm-hmm. select uh, our representatives. This is done on the municipal level. So this, this is your mayors, your city council. So that's what I wanted to know is, is where is the complaint coming from? The complexity of it um, is an issue. I think they, they feel like, because um, right now it's only used in municipal elections. So only municipalities can decide and vote on if they want to use it or not. 
And so that is a new way of voting for an entire city that is decided by five people. And and so there is a big frustration with that. Um, not to not to mention just the complexity that's gone on with it. It's supposed to be something that's cheaper and there has been some cities who said they found it wasn't i think there has been a couple of cities who have have said they've liked it and and have found some cost savings with not having to do a primary um but i think as far as election confidence goes right now it's kind of at a low and this is something that that we feel like can help with restoring some election confidence to people who are really worried about the ranked choice voting now ranked choice voting for for those that haven't done it, and most of us haven't. Most of us uh, live in places that that have not adopted this. It's basically if you wanted uh, had me, Debbie, and Jeff Kaplan all on the ballot, you would just rate us, rank us in what order. It's like I want Debbie number one, but if Debbie can't be the one, then it's Jeff Kaplan, and then Dave pulling up the rear. Right? That's he's my third option. So that's kind of how ranked choice voting works overly simplistic. But uh, then when you start taking all of these votes and compiling them together, then figuring out who wins is a little bit more complicated. Derek Monson is the chief growth officer at Sutherland Institute. Good morning, Derek. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Uh, What's the Sutherland Institute stance on ranked choice voting? Do you like it? Well, we think that the pilot program has shown enough evidence that there's some benefit for it for for certain cities that like it, that we ought to let them continue to use it. I mean, it's something that's been selected by the duly elected representatives of those cities, uh, you know, an expression of the will of the people through their elected representatives, just like we see at the legislature passing legislation and that kind of thing. And so taking that away, we think that ought to be a pretty high bar for that and don't don't see it in the debate thus far on HB 290. One of the benefits of ranked choice voting is uh, the the elimination of a primary. Can you walk us through that? Yeah. So some cities have chosen to use ranked choice voting such that instead of having a primary in the spring in, a, in an odd year, uh, all the candidates go through to the general election and then are voted on by ranked choice voting. That's not a requirement of the program. Some people have used or some cities have used ranked choice voting to have a primary, but it allows you to eliminate the primary if the city desires to do so. Derek Monson is the chief growth officer at Sutherland Institute. I have him on the line uh, to talk about ranked choice voting and uh, the, the support that it has. Um what about this argument uh, that it's complex and can be confusing? We've been doing things the one way for, I don't know, long, long time, and, and now uh, we've we've got this new way of doing things. What's what's your take on that? Well, it's, it's very interesting because when you look at polling data, Sutherland recently released a poll with Y2 Analytics asking people about ranked choice voting. And uh, the overall result was Utah likely voters think by a 60-40 margin that, that ranked choice voting ought to remain an option for cities. But among voters who had used it, the support goes even higher. And so if there was a broad level of confusion based on experience, you'd think it would be the opposite. And so I just don't see that playing out in how people express their views on ranked choice voting. Was there any kind of change when it came to voting for your city mayor and using ranked choice voting for, say, voting for governor? Yes, there was. Uh, specifically, there was a much more support of for ranked choice voting at a city level than there was for elections for state office. 
And so, again, this points to keeping it as an option for cities. Don't mandate it. Don't completely remove it. But for the cities that want to use it and who have had good experience with it, let them keep going with it. Derek Monson, thank you for joining us from the Sutherland Institute. It just hit me when Derek was talking about the 60% of Utah likely voters think that ranked choice voting should remain an option for cities and towns in Utah. And I'm like, why is it so high? And I wonder if people feel like they, even if their first candidate didn't win, at least their second choice won, or at least their third choice has a shot at getting uh, you know, elected. Whereas it's if it's just the straight ticket, one person, person with the most votes wins kind of election. Um, you know, if you're if your person doesn't win, I mean, you're a loser. <laughs> you know, nobody likes yeah. to be a loser. So, yeah, filling it out is also a little bit more burdensome. I think there is a, a tendency. Say there are seven uh, candidates that you you've got to list all seven candidates, and maybe point. you didn't do enough research that you know all seven candidates now. In ranked choice voting, you don't have to include all the candidates. You can just say, hey, of these seven candidates, I only want to rank the top two. You absolutely can do that as well. But that just kind of speaks to the point that does everyone know these little uh, details or is it just more confusing? Straight ahead, I think this is really the Katie Hall, Representative Katie Hall hour, because she's sponsoring some legislation that has to do with car registrations and how we pay for them. They're living paycheck to paycheck. This will help with budgeting, you know, their payment that they need to pay every month. That's right. She is proposing that we have an option to stop paying our car registrations in one lump sum (laughs) whenever they're due and spread it out in monthly installments. Uh, But there's a lot more to this. Uh, We're going to talk about this proposal next. Dave and Dujanovic. Dave and Dujanovic. Let's go back up to Capitol Hill. Eye on the Hill 2024. Special coverage with Dave and Dujanovic. If you've registered a car ever, you need to register a car, this is totally your segment. Um, Car registration in Utah could have some, see some major changes if this new proposal passes. Um... I'm really excited to talk about this because there's a major change coming to car registrations that I just absolutely love. But let's first talk about uh, one of the surprises in the bill is say goodbye to those registration stickers that sometimes just don't ever really stick to the back of your license plate. Getting rid of registration stickers? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Sign it into law today. I just got uh, new license plates and the stickers came with them, of course. And it was like this how-to chart on how to put them on. I was so... it off with alcohol wipes. I was so scared to screw it up. Uh, I got it right, by the way. Um, Okay. I really like this other part of the bill, though, that we really want to talk about. So you know how you have to pay your payment for your car registration in, like, one big happy chunk? Yep. Annually. (sighs) Yeah. Once a year. Well, this uh, proposal would allow you to opt into monthly installments. Love it. I love this, Debbie. You and I are definitely on the same page here. Uh, I never save up for registration. It's a surprise every single time. Uh, I've even had to dip into my $1,000 emergency fund to pay for car registration just because you know it creeps up on you every car is staggered i don't do it all at once but then also can i say 
of all the taxes and fees that the government hits me with, this one I feel extorted the most. Because I buy a car, they hit me with huge sales tax, uh, and then every time I drive the car, I pay a fuel tax. Whether I drive the car or not, I get hit with registration fees. Mm. You know, I'm excited about doing monthly installments because I feel like this has been the uh, government-sanctioned legal scheme to keep our registration fees for um, decades. And let me tell you why. Because uh, let's say you have $200 registration fee and you pay it in, let's say, March. Uh, This is going to sound suspiciously familiar. And then let's say you trade your car in in December, and you buy a new car because you want to be more, you know, fuel efficient. Yeah. So you buy a hybrid, so it costs a little bit more money. And your old car is bye-bye, and your registration fee for the full year has already been paid. And you're not entitled under the code in Utah to get a credit for those four unused months uh, that your car had gone bye-bye until it would... So you basically paid a full year's registration fee for only nine, eight months of driving your car. That's stealing money, Deb. You don't get a refund. You don't get a refund in this state if you've traded your car in, if you've sold your car outright, if you've relocated to another state. Car accident? Yep. It's totaled in car accident. You don't get your refund money back. I don't, I've never thought that was fair. Um, you spoke to the bill sponsor. Like I said, it's the Katie Hall Hour, Representative Katie Hall, talking about her proposal last uh, segment on ranked choice voting. But you also spoke to her about this, Dave. What did you learn? Yeah, uh, the big change to the registration. So this came from just conversations with constituent friends as we're, you know, registering our cars and <laughs> complaining about how. If we just registered the car like two months ago and then we sell it, um, where does that year long of registration fees go? We should get a refund for that. And um, I actually moved here from Kentucky 20 years ago and they, they offered that when you moved out of state or whatever, you could apply for getting your, your funds back that you didn't use on your car registration. And so when I was telling that to constituent friends, they were like, oh, we should do something about that. And so when I had a conversation with the tax commission and the DMV, um, we came up with this idea of what about if we did a month to month registration where someone could just stop the registration when they sell their car or if they got in an accident, they could just stop the registration and either move it to another car or, um, you know, whatever the case, whatever their individual case was. So. That's kind of where the idea came from. <laughs> yeah, and registration costs. Uh, I mean, they're they can they can vary quite a bit. If you're dealing with a a brand new car, the registration fees are, are far higher than if you have an old beater. Yep. Yep. What about uh, how much is this going to affect the? I mean, this is very good for the driver for for us, mm-hmm. but how much revenue do you expect to lose? Yes. So if you pay all at once, it would be 10% cheaper. If you want to go to the monthly and have that convenience of having it um, debited just monthly and not having to worry about re-signing up or re-registering every year, it, there right now we have it at 10% more. You anticipate this helping maybe those that are struggling more financially? Yeah, I, I think it's a good option for 
for people who don't like having to come or have struggles coming up with that balloon payment once a year. Maybe they have two cars that register on the same month, so it's kind of double that um, once a year. And if they're living paycheck to paycheck, this will help with budgeting, you know, their payments in that they need to that they need to pay every month. Oh, uh, what about a sticker? How does the sticker oh, arrive? Yeah. So the sticker, the stickers are one of the sticking points, um, no pun intended, but it's, we would, in order to do the month to month, it would get um, rid of the stickers across the board. Um, even for the, the yearly registrations, it would get rid of stickers across the board. Um, it would just make, be too much to have, um, be sending out a monthly sticker and that would kind of defeat the purpose of of, of doing a monthly thing that would, and, and that would also help with the prices, um, with postage and, and getting the stickers as well. So how do police feel about that? Yeah. So that is, that is one issue. They have, they have said that it, it would make, um, policing registration a little bit harder for them in that, you know, um, in how we have it now, if they see a sticker that's expired, they'll run the plate and make sure um, that it's that it's not. Um, I know I've done some ride-alongs with police, and when they're pulling someone over, if they see a violation, they look up the license plate anyway. And so if someone is not registered, they would still be able to give them a, a ticket or a warning as they, as they decide. Of course, it would make policing the registration harder. I'm not sure that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I mean, I think we've all probably been pulled over for expired registration. Uh, and boy, that is a that is a ginormous hassle. But yeah, uh, getting rid of those stickers, that, that would be a big deal. Making those monthly payments would be a great deal for me. I, I love this idea. Yeah, and it will cost a little bit more. Like she said, you pay a, like a 10% surcharge. Uh, but I'm willing to do that because I feel like I've lost so much money. Uh, when I either sell a car or we have oh, yeah. to trade a car in um, because you don't use that full year um, registration up and you're not entitled to a refund. But she said she just moved here 20 years ago from Kentucky and her state entitles uh, or her home state entitles uh, drivers to a refund. So I don't know why we don't offer a refund here. I do know that our car registration fees go to things like, you know, infrastructure and, you know, keeping our roads repaired. So, I mean, maybe that money's already spent the minute we turn it into the state. But I love this monthly option. We want to take your phone calls. 801-575-TALK. 801-575-TALK. Do you like this idea where you would be paying your car registration every month? It's not mandated. It's an option. Do you like this idea? We've also posted this question on our KSL News Radio Facebook page. So if you're at the office or you're at home right now and you want to love us on Facebook on this Valentine's Day, we would love you to weigh in there as well. Your live phone calls in five minutes. Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. Oh, love to remind you that it is secret contest time. It's a podcast listener contest exclusive. So here's what you need to do you need to find the podcast of our show at kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts and then listen for the keyword. I will give out the keyword. You write that down, uh, you text it to 57500, 
whatever that keyword might be, and then you could win some AirPod Pros. Eye on the Hill 2024. Special coverage with Dave and DeGenevic. I think it's just a really simple question to ask our listeners. I would love to hear uh, what you think about this proposal on Capitol Hill. It would give uh, people who are registering their car the option to make monthly installments um, instead of that upfront price that we pay now. We just pay it all at once right now. That's how the rules work in Utah. Katie Hall is a representative on Utah's Capitol Hill, spoke with Dave earlier today about this uh, just before the show. I, I think it's a good option for for people who don't like having to come or have struggles coming up with that balloon payment once a year. Maybe they have two cars that register on the same month, so it's kind of double that um, once a year. And if they're living paycheck to paycheck, this will help with budgeting, you know, their payments in that they need to that they need to pay every month. Do you like this idea? What's the downside? Is there any downside whatsoever? Because other than taking some money out of the the state coffers, I don't see any downside to this. We're taking your phone calls 801-575-talk. That's 801-575-talk. There would be a 10% surcharge, which is probably not that big of a deal um if if, if you know, the added to your monthly payment. So it's divided over, you know, the course of 12 months. And I think the monthly payment would be right around how maybe less than 20 bucks a month. Well, I figured for for yours, let's let's say your uh, registration just for simplicity and math is is 120 bucks for your car. So that's $10 a month. That's what you would have to pay. So Mm -hmm. an extra 10% uh, adds an extra dollar. To, to that amount. So instead of paying $10, you're paying $11 a month. That that for the convenience is absolutely worth it for me. Hi, Rob. How are you? Good. You live in my old um, neighborhood. <laughs> Rob's in Conrad Heights. What do you think about this proposal, Rob? I personally don't like the government taking my money any sooner than I need to give it to them. And so... I set up a bank account, and I take out the money necessary to pay my registration on a monthly basis, but I get interest on it. Nice. That's it. Nice. That's awesome. Well, and and to be clear, this would just be an option. For those people that wanted to pay all at once, then they could still continue paying it just annually. This would just be one of those options. Now, uh, Representative Hall did tell me that there are some scenarios where you can pay every six months, but instead of 110% the cost, it's 150% currently in the state. So this would just be a little bit of a bump. Blake from Clearfield, what do you think about this proposal for monthly installments on our car registrations? Yeah, I think that, you know, it it has the basis to be a good idea. But the one thing I don't understand is why, um, you know, I think she mentioned that in Kentucky, um, they refund the difference yep. if you sell the car just because I would be someone that, um, you know, would want to pay it all up front, uh, just kind of how I have. Um, but if I ever sell my car, um, I assume that I just lose that. And so yep. yes. it's kind of like, I don't know why there wouldn't be, you know, just an option for monthly payments for those who need it. Or um, if you want to pay it all up front, them still having that ability to refund it. Yep. That's why I call it the government sanctioned legalized scheme to keep our car registration fees. Uh, even if we don't <laughs> milk every single last penny out of our fee, we sell the car early, we trade it in, 
It gets totaled in a horrific accident. Uh, we walk away from the accident, thankfully, but we lose those fees. It just seems like a double whammy, especially if you've yep. been in a bad accident. We're getting lots of calls, Dave. Jeremy in West Valley. What do you think, Jeremy? Well, it's a good idea, you know, for people who are uh, live paycheck to paycheck. I have seven vehicles myself. I've never had a problem paying the full price. But there are ways to manage that money better, like when yeah. it comes to property tax time. I have I go through America First Credit Union and I have a 12 month dedicated savings. Nice. So I take a hundred dollars each check, put it in that. So when it comes to property tax time, I'm not scrambling to pay all my property. Oh, yeah. I love it. Other ways. I I love how you're managing your money and it's a month to month. You know, savings account, you're setting it aside. I absolutely love that. You're 100% right that we can all do a better job of just putting a little bit of money away each month uh, to save up for that annual payment. I mean, I don't plan on selling the car that I bought for like 10 years. So I would really be just doing the month to month to stick it to the man. You know, like you've been taking my fees and keeping them when I turn over a car. Uh, we haven't thankfully had that I'm aware of any cars, um, you know, totaled in an accident. But I know people who have, and you just you lose that the rest of that fee. I have. Oh, I'm that's sorry. totally. I actually, yep. do know I do know somebody. Never yeah, mind. <laughs> you do that. I that's absolutely. That, yeah, uh, I mean, it was years ago, but we had registered it like a week before. Of course, of course, it always happens. Sorry. And then you get a new car, and then I've got to pay sales tax on that, and then another registration fee. It can be extremely onerous. It's it's a complete robbery. Let's be very honest. It's a complete robbery to prepay it. And then if you have to get out six months early, they don't give you any kind of a refund. And the reason they don't, let me give you an idea. Here's some, here, let me throw some numbers at you. Uh, there is about under 3 million registered cars in Utah, about 2.75 million registered cars in Utah. Let's just for fun say, Every registration is a hundred bucks, right? Some are higher, some are lower, but say a hundred bucks. That means the state is bringing in two hundred and seventy-five million dollars every single year in registration, and and that's not even including all the fees. Your registration might be eighty to a hundred dollars. You tack on all the fees, and you've got an emissions in there. Now you're up to one hundred and fifty, one hundred and seventy-five, two hundred dollars. This is. This is hundreds of millions of dollars that we're spending just on registrations and fees. Did you know there's, let me just get you a little more wound up. Did you know there's actually more than just your car registration fee that you're paying with your registration? There's a $10 corridor fee um, in some counties. So there's a $3 air pollution fee tacked onto that. There's a $3 driver ed fee tacked onto that. And there's a $1 uninsured motorist fee added to that. Bet you didn't know that. Mind you, the uninsured motorist is covered by my private insurance, but I'm glad you can take that dollar. Straight ahead, home sales expected to increase in the coming months. Uh, So, thank goodness we have the Stern team in the house straight ahead to give us their first-time home buyer guide. Straight ahead. David Dujanovic, David priced out housing special coverage with David Dujanovic. I am so excited to talk to Russell Fawcett for the Stern team and go in depth with him about uh, their first time home buyer guide, 
home sales expected to increase this year. So if you're thinking about getting into a home for the first time, maybe you have kids uh, that are out shopping for their first home. Uh, the Stern team is uh, joining us live with their first time home buyer's guide. One of the things that makes me a little antsy for my kids is I know how expensive homes are now. And they're not in the, the home buying stage yet. They're probably five years out or so uh, at least. Well, what's it going to look in five years? If it's so expensive right now, and is it just going to keep going up? And it kind of looks like it. Uh Russell Fawcett, thanks for sticking around yeah. with the Stern team. Uh, we love your tips. Um, now, I've read articles. It's pretty widely expected that you know spring brings on increased home sales, maybe some increased pricing. Um, let's lay, let's let's set the, the landscape for starters. What's the Stern team looking at for home sales over the next several months? Yeah, so let's talk about the year. We just had the forecast that came out. And so they are predicting that Salt Lake County will have about 13,000 sales. That's up from just over 11,000 last year. Uh, so we're up. We're going to be up 16% is what they're projecting. But we also have to realize that's still historically low. Prior to COVID, the five years before that, we averaged right around 18,000 sales. So mm. we're, we're still going to be down about 27, 30% from normal. Okay. And is that... Because of interest rates and cost of the home? Yeah, so interest rates. So you have the, the sellers that you know have a 3% that don't want to leave. You have the interest rate, so affordability for buyers. And that, that dip in interest rate is what's really causing, okay, we're going to have some more first-time home buyers enter the market. A couple more people sell their homes. So that's what's going to drive the increase in sales. But there's still not enough inventory and affordability is still an issue, which is going to keep our sales low. Russell Fawcett with the Stern team in studio with us today, giving us their first-time home buyer's guide. Let's get into it. What's on? What's chapter one of the first-time home buyer's guide for those people who are just getting into the market? Yeah. So number one, we we always want someone to to speak with a lender if they're gonna, you know, if they're not paying cash, we want them to sit down, find out what they can afford. What you know, you'd be surprised at like maybe they have a credit card that's maxed out. And that's their only credit card, and that's killing their credit. And if they just went and paid, if it's a thousand dollar credit card, went and paid that down, got it below thirty percent, their credit score could shoot up. So we want mm-hmm. them to be educated. That also helps us when we go out for them. One, not to fall in love with a the property they can't afford, or if they've skipped that step and they fall in love with a hot property and they're not ready to go, that that property may not be available for them. Um, because they've still got to go through that approval process. We want to turn our buyers into cash buyers, essentially by getting them all the way through the loan process before we go shopping for a home. Then all we need is the appraisal once once they find the house. How do you uh, talk somebody off uh, of some of these emotions that they might have if they absolutely fall in love with a house, but there's some real warning signs for you, whether it's overpriced or it's in a bad location. What what can you do to maybe bring some of those emotions down? Yeah. So we, we tell them to go home and take a tic-tac. And so, I mean, what that is, really it is just taking that moment to breathe about it. Let's talk through this situation and, and say, okay, like, what are we giving up? Are, is this going to become a problem? Or, you know, back in the, the pandemic, you're overpaying for this home. You know, you're writing a check for $50,000. Are you okay with it? And ultimately, it is their decision. So we like to honestly let them sleep on it a little bit, suck on a tic-tac, and, and come back and make sure their decision is what they want to do. 
Russell uh, Stern, or Russell Fawcett with the Stern team live in studio with us talking about the first time home buyer's guide. Okay, you went over chapter one, get with a lender. What's chapter two, Russell? Yeah, chapter two is the fun part. So now we start searching, right? So we come up with the criteria, what it is we're looking for, what are the areas, what are the home has to have, bedrooms, bathrooms, size, and then we start shopping. We start going out and looking at the property because we know what we can buy. So now we go find it and, you know, we want to find whatever it is, and we we typically go with what are your five wants, what are your five needs. So the five needs, oh. we're going to get those no matter what. Our five wants, these would be nice to have, mm. but maybe we're willing to give you know kind of a concession on one I of those things. I love that. And you boil it down to five of each, so you're not overwhelmed with lists of 20 or something like that. That's a great tip. What would be an example of maybe a want versus a need? So what are some of the wants? Uh, we want a separate shower and tub in the master bedroom or a three-car garage. Sometimes those are that's a need. Sometimes it's a want. It'd be nice to have or it'd be nice to have, um, you know, RV parking. I have a friend who happens to need a bathroom on the main level. Yep. Um, and, you know, some of us may say, oh, we don't need a bathroom on the main level. That's just a want. But for some people, it is a, is a, depending on their situation, it is a need. So there's lots, lots of things that could be on my want list that might be on somebody else's need list. Um, let's say a first time home buyer, any home buyer, stops by an open house. It's on a whim. They see it on their, you know, on their drive into, you know, whatever the city and they pull in and they're not with their real estate agent. Now, I've been into plenty of open houses and there's a real estate agent there. And I've always said, like, I'm working with this real estate agent. I've been working with them for 20 years. But what should they do when they walk in that home and you're not with them, Russell? Yeah. So if they're actively working with a real estate agent, just that. Let the open house agent know that I'm working with an agent. I just saw your sign. I swung by, you know, and so just communicate with that. And most of the time, that agent's still going to answer any questions that you have. They're going to, you know, walk you through the home because the open house agent typically is they're representing the seller. And so they're still going to want to help get the home sold. And so they'll answer your questions. If you're not working with an agent and you're just going out and, you know, touring open houses to find your home, I'll tell you there's a lot better ways that you can find your dream home than stopping by and just randomly looking at open houses. It's a little bit of a uh, roll of the dice when you're doing that. Uh, What would you recommend for buyers on an average salary? Okay, so this is, I'm going to more go back to what does it cost to buy the average house. Um, so this came out again in our forecast, and our median sales price was 554000 in January. And in order to, with a 5% down payment, you're looking at, you would need an income of $169,000. So at that point, you are probably dual income. You're getting a co-signer if you're making the average salary, right? But if you have two average salaries, then we're getting closer to, the, to that, but you may have to save to make a down payment to make that a little bit more affordable. Um, so it really depends on your credit and your unique financial situation to what you can qualify for. I've had to explain in the past to first-time home buyers that it's the seller who pays the real estate agent's fees. Is that still accurate given uh, the landscape of some you know different legis- uh, lawsuits that have been going on? Is it generally the seller that pays the fees? The first time home buyer doesn't need to worry about coming up with that? So contractually, that is the way that um, 
each listing that is put on the multiple listing service offers a certain amount that they're willing to pay a buyer representative. Now, your fees are negotiated with your buyer agent and with your listing agent. So then it becomes with, okay, the listing agent has agreed to pay a certain fee. My fee is this. So there could be a circumstance where the buyer would need to compensate the agent if if the seller isn't paying that. Historically, typically the sellers have paid the full fee, but there are two sides of it. And so you'll definitely want to have that conversation up front. Great tips. Russell, thank you for joining us. If you are interested to find out how much your home is worth, there's a great resource at sternteam.com. You can click on the the true value of your home. Uh, it, It pulls all the data, the size of your home, the size of the lot from tax records. So it's very accurate. You can find that at sternteam.com. Thanks so much, Russell. Always fun having you in studio and getting these really great tips. Straight ahead, we just had a horrific situation happen with the Utah Highway Patrol trooper yesterday. While Dave and I were on the air, we broke into coverage live to take you out to that scene on I-80 and 7200 West on the west side of Salt Lake City. We found out later that that trooper had uh, accidentally fallen off of an overpass Thankfully, Utah Patrol joins us next uh, with an update on that trooper's condition. Hey, it's Debbie here. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. But you can also hear the Dave and Dujanovic show live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday starting at 9 or at kslnewsradio.com. Keyword podcast. So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win. The D2 Follow-Up Report. We stay connected to important stories to give you the latest. It was a, just an absolutely wild story that was developing on the west side of Salt Lake City. During our show yesterday, we took you out there live. Um, and then we later learned that the search for a suspect who was evading police um, had led to a Utah Highway Patrol trooper uh, falling off of an overpass um, out in that area at 7200 West and I-80. Uh, our very own KSL News Radio's Hugo Ricard Bell uh, broke into our show live to bring us the latest. He was on the scene yesterday and actually spoke to a witness about the incident. They ended up tracking down this suspect, uh, but not before that horrible fall uh, that that trooper took. Police say the suspect is 34-year-old Sammy Michael Swicky. After fleeing the scene where the state trooper fell off the overpass, he was apprehended by police at the Comfort Inn. Front desk worker Irasima Barazar saw the whole thing. Then they go in the back, and that's when I just saw them all land on top, on top of someone through the door. It looked like he was he was putting up a fight for sure. According to court records that KSL has obtained, Sammy Swicky has had an extensive criminal history dating back to 2008 with charges involving drugs as well as failure to respond to police. The highway patrol officer is still in hospital in a serious but stable condition. Hugh Cardbell, KSL News Radio. Utah Highway Patrolman uh, Sergeant Cameron Roden joins us right now. Thank you, Sergeant. Uh, would you give us a little bit of a recap of what what this trooper was doing on an overpass uh, out of his car in the first place? Uh, yeah, so our trooper were in the area to assist uh, Salt Lake City officers who had uh, tried to stop a vehicle for a drug investigation a little earlier. 
um, the that individual had had fled from them and they didn't pursue initially um, that he was located a short time after that initial incident um, and he fled from officers again um, our officers were trying to set up spikes in that area to stop that vehicle um, when when the incident happened um, the, the trooper uh, was uh, fell off the structure during that spike deployment and ended up la- landing onto a dirt road below. Oh my goodness. Um, the DPS helicopter was luckily in the area. They helped to get officers to where that suspect was stopped, but then returned to help transport that trooper to the hospital, get him uh, the care and treatment he needed. Sergeant Roden, I want to get back to the details of what was happening out at the scene, but I guess I'm more concerned about the condition of our UHP trooper today. Can you bring us up to date on how he's doing? Um, And I'm actually just so glad, and I feel like we're so blessed that we're talking about a condition update uh, because that fall just sounds awful, absolutely awful. Uh, definitely. We uh, are, are so grateful for so many people that uh, came to his aid and the people who have given him so much professional care. Um, he he has uh, is at the hospital. He um, is stable in stable condition, but uh, due to his serious injuries, he will need uh, ongoing medical treatment. Um, and uh, for the officers that have been able to, to talk to him, they say he... Uh, is in good spirits, um, but uh, we'll uh, we'll keep everybody updated as as he continues to progress. We'll certainly send him, um, you know, our prayers as well. The next time you have a chance to talk to him, we're so sorry this happened. I do want to get back to that when when he fell off the overpass. It was it an was it just a complete accident, or do you think it was just a misjudgment of some footing uh, there? And and how long how how far was that fall? Um, those details, as far as exactly what happened, are still under investigation. We're still trying to put all those pieces together. There's still some questions that we have to answer as to exactly what happened, causing him to to go over that structure. So we are working fully with uh, the Salt Lake Police Department, who is leading the investigation into the arrest, but also into the fall incident. And we uh, hope to get answers to those questions here soon. I know it really depends on the overpass, whether it has a a fence or guardrails, how tall those guardrails are. How would you describe this? Um, so the, the side of this roadway is a concrete barrier, um, in, in which you know would be about waist level, but uh, he did end up going up over that concrete barrier and falling down. Um, I, I believe the estimated is uh, you know about 30 to uh, 32 feet is wh- how far the fall was. My goodness. Um, just, uh, following up with the suspect, so glad he got captured yesterday. It looks like he has, um, a history, uh, with encounters, uh, of, with the law. So what happens to him now? Uh, was he, is the Salt Lake City Police Department handling that part of the investigation or are you guys involved? Um, yes, they, uh, Salt Lake City is handling the investigation and the charges into, uh, not only that incident, uh, but the, the fleeing incident as well. Uh, so we will work with them fully on any uh, further, uh, you know, investigations into uh, the fleeing incident and into the fall incident itself. Sorry, I'm I'm a little fuzzy on when this suspect was apprehended and how they were apprehended. Uh, so shortly after the fall had occurred, um, the helicopter was in the area and they were able to acquire the vehicle. Uh, they followed that vehicle overhead until. Um, they stopped at a hotel. Uh, that individual ran into a hotel 
and uh, they were able to guide officers in and then be able to take custody. And it sounded like with our coverage of the person inside the hotel that was the employee there, they didn't even really realize that uh, suspect was hiding in the hotel. Yeah, and that that is a possibility. I, I don't have all the details as far as, you know, the, the apprehension part of that, but uh, Salt Lake City is working on that that uh, aspect, but then uh, that very well could be so. Is the suspect held responsible for this injury? Um, again, a lot of those details are still uh, being investigated to see uh, what part they played. And, and so as we complete that investigation, we'll uh, make sure that all the stakeholders are able to take a look at that uh, to see if there would be any charges or anything additional warranted. Sergeant Cameron Roden with the Utah Highway Patrol. We always appreciate your availability here on the David Dijanovic Show on KSL News Radio. Uh, so good to talk to you. Uh, thank you so much for giving us an update uh, on the trooper's condition. Uh, so there's been some officers who've been able to talk to the trooper who is still in the hospital, will likely be in the hospital for quite some time. If you missed our coverage here and wondering what happened. It was a 32-foot fall off of an overpass onto a dirt road uh, yesterday at about this time that we got wind of it uh, that shut down like 7200 West and I-80. Um, for quite some time yesterday, or at least made that area very busy after they were trying to apprehend a suspect, uh, that trooper was laying down spikes in the road or trying to do that when that happened. That's three stories up. I mean, just let that settle in right now. Think if you're on the third floor of a building and you fall out of that and you land on the ground, how in the world do you possibly survive? It's absolutely miraculous that we're talking about any kind of recovery whatsoever here. Mm -hmm. As I was driving home yesterday and I was listening to Jeff Kaplan's afternoon news and the coverage, the excellent coverage that Hugo Ricard uh, Bell uh, was delivering, I, I thought that very same thing. I thought, I'm so grateful that we're not talking um, about um, something much, much worse. So our prayers go out to the trooper, his family, um, and all those officers um, that were dealing with that situation yesterday. Uh, next, um, let's talk about tipping. <laughs> um, so many people hate tipping uh, before they're served. You know, you get up to the counter and they flip the tip screen around and you haven't even served anything. Um we're going to ask Matt Gephardt. He just did an investigation uh, for KSL 5 Television. Uh, does tipping before service affect the quality of service? Next. Dave, Dave and DeGenevich. Right on the money. Special coverage with Dave and DeGenevich. Love that we have KSL Television's investigative reporter Matt Gephardt, um, who recently aired a story on KSL 5 TV. People hate tipping before they're served. That's true. <laughs> but Matt went to find out if it's affecting the quality of our the service that we're getting. What do you think, Dave? Ooh, that's a great question. I've got two kids that are servers right now. And they don't tell me the stories where they get great tips nearly as much as they love to tell the stories about when they got stiffed mm-hmm. with a $3 tip. You know, $300 dollars worth of food being ordered and a ten dollar tip something along those lines and that happens far more than i realized i thought y'all were just like rubber stamping 20 percent and doing it every time but that is not what's happening but this is a, this story looks specifically at tipping 
before we're served, which is happening more and more. Like I get that iPad shoved in my face and it says 20, 30 percent, you know. Uh, how did what did you find? What did your investigation find, Matt? Well, you know, let me be start by saying I didn't break any ground here. This is a story that's been done a bunch of times. Of, you know, People are kind of sick of the iPad thing and the turn and stuff. The, the new nugget was the, the fact that, if I can back up quickly, restaurants have long said, well, yeah, we're putting these iPads in and we're doing it as a way to try to encourage people like Dave's kids to actually get jobs here so we can say, yeah, yeah, you're going to get the money. And it's controversial because there's always the arguments of pay them more, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> but now for the first time, we have a, a company, DoorDash in particular, which has said, uh, I should say, companies have said it won't impact you. It won't impact you. We're not going to give you worse service if you choose to do no tip. It's not a big deal. It's it's just there. It's on the front end. People aren't using cash, so it's easier for you, but it will not impact your service. And now we have companies, again, specifically DoorDash, that are saying, absolutely, yes, it will impact your service. If you no tip, you can expect to wait longer for your food. And if uh, you no tip, we, we actually encourage our drivers to to do what's best for them. These are contractors, and we don't say you must take an order. You do whatever you want. Well, that's good to know. And so, yeah, if you if you so we we rode around with a couple of drivers and they talked to us about the same sorts of stories that exactly like what your daughter said. It was uh, we posed the question. The, the, the photographer I was working with, Megan Thackeray, said, "Tell me about your best tip and your worst tip." And like that, <laughs> they could all recall their worst tip. And boy, when it was my best tip, all right. I mean, there was a guy once who gave me eight dollars on a fit. I mean, it was like it took him a while, right? Yeah. And it's like yeah. you really remember the time that you worked for charity and you didn't want to work for charity today. I think a lot of people don't realize who is really depending on the tip and and who's just you know getting a little boost. Like say they're they're making ten dollars an hour making cookies and, and the tips a nice little bonus. But and then who is the server that's getting paid whatever two thirty five an hour and that is absolutely dependent on the tips? Yeah, and in law as I understand it is. You have to make a minimum wage. And so, yes, minimum wage for a server is that below amount, but it's required to be made up by the restaurant. Um, when you get into the independent contractor stuff, like these DoorDash drivers and stuff, that's where it can get a little wonky. And so they make their money you know, based on per mile or based on what, you know, whatever the algorithm of DoorDash, Uber Eats, um, whatever the delivery service may be. Uh, but but they, the tips really are what kind of take it from, in some cases, losing money on the transaction to – to uh, actually making money, and and the laws aren't aren't there the way they are in, in some like you know typical restaurants. Yeah, no protections. KSL Five investigative reporter Matt Gephardt in studio with us today to talk about tipping um, and how I hate to love it and love to hate <laughs> it. Um, and you guys rode around with the DoorDash driver. I get mad. I go, why do you why do you even do that order? It's just horrifying to find out that. You're going to be losing money delivering this order. And so now DoorDash is saying, hey, um, if you don't tip, which I I don't use DoorDash. I suppose it's in the app before you have the delivery. I, do use, I do use DoorDash, okay. and I, I tested it on my own phone, although I was afraid it was going to mess up my star rating or whatever. But yeah, <laughs> you get in, and if you say, so it, you, you, you go on DoorDash, and you say, uh, I want, you know, whatever, pizza delivered to my front door. <clears throat> Not pizza, tacos. Come on, what are you talking about? It's Valentine's Day. Tacos. So we got tacos delivered to my front door, and then it says it's usually based on on how much it is. So if it's you know fifty dollars worth of tacos, it'll be do you want to tip you know seven dollars, eight dollars, nine dollars, <throat> some percentage therein. Or you can there's a button where you can hit custom tip, and if you hit that custom tip button, you can put in whatever you want, including zero dollars. And if you do that, 
a screen pops up and it says, are you sure you want to do this? Because if you do this, you're hurting drivers and they may choose not to actually go pick up your order. It could sit under that heat lamp for longer than you want it to, and it may come cold or may not come at all. Uh, so yeah, that's that's what they're doing, and they've sent out press releases about it. And I just I thought the juxtaposition between all the restaurants who were like, no, 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 you know, it's okay. We promise it's not going to impact your food, it's not going to impact your service, it's not going to impact anything. We now have a company saying, yeah, it sure as heck will. This is the future of tipping. We don't tip at the end of meals anymore. We do it before. We count on you. It's the American way. And by golly, we're just going to own it. Now, this is something that restaurants have done, or at least dip their toes into in the past, where they say, if you're a party of, of eight or more, then we're just going to put an automatic sure. gratuity on that. So the, I think there has been some experience with it, some appetite where people are like, I get it. We're a big you know, we're, we're a big group. You're going to automatically do it. What's the response been from, uh, from the people that use DoorDash or from people, is this like a deal breaker? Well, according to DoorDash, they have seen a, a, I can't remember the exact word they used, but it was a notable decrease in no tips. That's what DoorDash has told us. I can tell you, you know, as a DoorDash, I, I have the Dash Pass I'm, myself personally. I can tell you that, but I also don't never tip. So never mind. That's a bad example. I was going to say, I, I there there have been times though that I was going to say I've gone to restaurants or I've specifically avoided restaurants that I know they're going to have the iPad turn around mm-hmm. and face me um, because I just I, I I find that interaction awkward. Yeah. And there have been times when it's like, no, I'm just I'm just not going to do it today. I tried the no tip thing for quite some time last fall. And I was on a roll with no tipping. And then I got, you know, the holidays rolled around. I started to feel guilty about it. And so how I avoided uh, tipping, because my favorite, uh, two favorite places to get coffee are uh, on, my, on the road or if it's Starbucks and Beans and Brew. And I always feel like I should tip. Um, there's a lot of people who are very young. They're great. They're happy. They need a little, they need one or two dollars, right? So I always give them a tip. So I started to avoid tipping when I got my daily round of coffee as I was going to McDonald's because it's a buck and they don't expect a tip. So to your point about avoiding places, even when it's a $2 cup of coffee, I was starting to avoid it. Uh, yeah. Now I'm right back in the old pattern though. So Starbucks, here I come. Well, it's social contracts, right? And it's it's one of those things as it, as it evolves, it, it becomes what are you comfortable with? And yeah, the baristas, it sort of has as long as I've been going to coffee shops. That's been part of what's expected. You throw a buck in the tin uh, for, for a cup of coffee. Um, and then there's other people I go in there with who think I'm nuts. What are you doing? I, just, I know. I have had people say, why would you tip? And I said, because I'm a good person. It's I mean, already I like, a $6 cup of coffee. It's a social contract. But you said it's, it yeah. is a social contract. I, I've i just always been a tipper and I because I appreciate the service. Um, and I also realize, you know, they're probably working for tips to some degree. I would also go back to something Dave said about it being something that we've experimented with before. You used the example of of, of a party of six or more. It's announced to us yeah. that we're going to have these certain fees and certain tips that are automatically added on. I would argue we've been doing it for a long time. It just hasn't been in our face. Um, anybody who goes you know, to a bar... Uh, you know, the first drink, you know, you, you grease that bartender and he's going to take care of you all night, right? Uh, you go to a resort pool. If you take care, if you're going to be at the same resort for five days, you grease the guy who took care of you that first day, he's going to take care. He's going to make sure that when he comes around, he's, you know, so, so I would argue pre-tipping as a bribe is not necessarily a new thing. This is just lifelong experience. Greasing people. Just like, Matt, as always, you are amazing. Thanks so much. Love all your reports. You can always catch Matt Gephardt. Um, What are you on, like 
seven nights a week now on KSL 5 television. Monday through Friday at 4 o'clock and 10 o'clock. <laughs> love it, Matt. I love your reporting. Thanks so much. Great advice. Uh, next, uh, let's let's talk about Valentine's Day, shall we? We are still kids, but we're so in love. Little Ed Sheeran. Uh, sorry, guys. We're going to actually talk about something. Uh, we're going to go to the farm. We're going to talk about online romance scams. It's targeting middle-aged men. It is called pig butchering. Um, and before you get slaughtered from your life savings, you got to listen straight ahead. Invested in a, in um, in the crypto and that she could come to me and we could get married. They said this is a major fraud situation and i'm not the only one spoiler alert that young lady you just met online uh, she doesn't really love you dave and degenovic your morning companions for talk analysis and key perspectives on utah's biggest stories on ksl news radio You're like oh my goodness i forgot to buy a valentine for my sweetheart hey here's a Here's a thought. Uh, Why don't you just go subscribe to our podcast, listen to our podcast, and then enter to win a pair of AirPod Pros. That Uh, will not arrive today, just to be clear. But you could give them an IOU. Yes. So here's what you need to do. You're going to go find our podcast um, on kslpodcast.com. All you need to look for is the Dave and Dujanovic podcast with KSL News Radio or wherever you listen to your podcast. Then you'll listen for a keyword. I will give you a keyword. Then you take that keyword and then you type it into 57500. You send that and you will be entered in to win a pair of AirPod Pros. It's our secret contest only for uh, our podcast listeners. So don't get left out of this opportunity. I was listening to our podcast yesterday on my way home. A, we sounded so good. And B, we make it so easy. Uh, you'll know right what yeah, to do. Yeah, it's not a secret. Yeah. We make it very obvious. Uh, you'll know right what to do. Hey, um, here's the number one song on Spotify's playlist for Valentine's Day. Baby, I'm dancing in the dark With you between my arms Barefoot on the grass We're gonna get there. Listening to our favorite song I have faith in what I see Okay. He's not gonna sing it. Yeah, he is. Okay. Boom. Have you heard the Andre Bocelli duet with no. him? No. And that's not what this story is about. It's swoony. It's great. <laughs> okay, I'll listen on my way home, Dave. No, this is what it's about. So it's Valentine's Day, and I want to talk about uh, how she's not actually perfect, that you haven't really met an angel, uh, that that woman who's 25 years old or 30 years old who has befriended you online, and maybe you're a 55 or 65 or 70-year-old man, she doesn't really love you. You're being swept up into a scam that's known as pig butchering, Dave. Harsh, Deb. It's not true love. When it's... a perfect 10 texts you and says, I'm totally interested out of the blue. Love hurts. It's not true. This was on NBC News uh, a couple of nights ago, and I thought this would be perfect to... Um, First, save you heartache, um, 
save you from going broke on this internet scam that targets middle-aged men specifically. This is why they call it pig butchering. And here's how it works. Uh, It's particularly um, involving young women, very attractive, who will start sending uh, middle-aged men compromising photos of themselves and then they feel uh this the man feels a sense of like love um and actually they don't realize because they become so in love with this woman that this is just all a fraud soon anna was sending explicit photos may divorced and retired was smitten she told them they could be together but there was a catch if i invested with her or invested in a in um in the crypto and that she could come to me and we could get married. He liquidated his 401k, sending more than half a million dollars, mm. his life savings. Then he got a call from the FBI. They said this is a major fraud situation and I'm not the only one. It turns out May was involved in a common internet scam and also a new FBI initiative to protect people from financial ruin. The scam is called pig butchering. So named because victims are likened to hogs, fattened up for slaughter. And w- the key to this, Debbie, is this is not a one text, one sent. This is this is stretched out over time, right? Correct. They build up some trust mm-hmm. in a relationship, and then that's kind of the fattening up. They usually say things like, in this case, Anna, um, who was the fake profile uh, of a beautiful young woman who had friended a man um, who was retired um, online uh, is that they're going they're gonna spend some time sweetening you up they're gonna send you compromising photos make you feel like you're just absolutely in love with them and you never actually meet them in person uh, but you are so blinded by your love for a woman named Anna that you're just willing to do anything for her. and this actually has men running like crazy to their 401ks, to their banks, to take out loans. Uh, Here's what the FBI says about the losses just from last year. In 2023, we see it well over $3.5 billion of reported losses and over around 40,000 victims in the United States. So that's all romance scams, but this pig butchering has really come on strong because like Middle-aged men, if they're divorced, maybe they're lonely, um, they want to believe that a 25-year-old woman would fall madly in love with them online. Uh, And then she makes up some sort of a story like, oh, my brother's in the hospital and I can't come visit you, but if you send money to help pay his hospital bills or... In the case of Anna, she was making up this story about being in some sort of like cryptocurrency finance situation and that he could invest with her and his money's all but gone. It's just gone. You're not, once you wire that money, it's not coming back. It's over. Yeah, absolutely over. And what's so heartbreaking is you would think common sense would tell you that this is an absolute red alert or red alert like this alarm bells all over the place uh, but for some reason whether it's desperation sadness loneliness it just it blinds folks and i want to know how do you how do you protect yourself from that here's the biggest red flag dave i found i've thought about this for a long time i used to be a spokesperson for the fbi where we were dealing with these types of phone calls from people who had lost their life savings i've been an investigative reporter 
I've talked to people who've wired money. Um, and in this situation with pig butchering, this is going to sound harsh, and I don't mean this to be hurtful. But the fact is, men, you did not hit the lottery as a middle-aged man approaching 60 or 70 years old with a 25-year-old or even a 35-year-old woman online. She's not in love with you. You will never be together. By the end of this, you will be broke. You will have wired tens of thousands of dollars to an organized crime unit uh, in another country, and you will never, ever get that money back. I'm sorry to tell you, but a woman who is 40 years younger than you is not in love with you for your great body and your good looks. Dave and We're not going to keep talking about pig butchering, um, but I felt like, Dave, I, I just kind of said what I said about, you know, to middle-aged men, um, you know, that a woman who's uh, friending you online is 25 years old and you're 65 years old. She's not in it for love. She doesn't love you uh, for your, your good looks. Uh, she's in it to steal your money, and she is probably actually part of an organized crime ring. Um, so I didn't give you a final say on that. I was just <laughs> brutally harsh. Well, I feel like we 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 dance around the truth about it, and we give these tips on how to protect yourself online, like don't friend somebody you don't know, uh, don't ever wire money to somebody you've never met in person. Well, those are all great tips, but the reality of it is, she ain't out there, guys. Well, she ain't looking for you for love. She's looking for you for money. But I was so handsome in my heyday. Maybe she sees that. Maybe she sees that in me. I think what what is kind of lost on this is this is not an individual woman that's looking to extort you. This is a network uh, that is coordinated, that is well-funded. And, and as you were talking about the cryptocurrency aspect of it, uh, where they're like, hey, invest in this. They have websites and apps that are developed that you can download and you put in $10,000 and then on the website it shows that you just made $5,000 on your investment. It is so sophisticated. It's I kind of see how you could get caught up in it. Yeah. You know, it, it, I I get it. It's so embarrassing. Nobody wants to talk about it, which is why it's a multi-billion dollar problem here in the states. And the FBI cracking down trying to get the word out to Everybody, but I'm going to just say it's it's got to go out specifically to middle-aged man, men because this is what pig butchering is. A young woman, uh, she's not really young. She's not. It's just a fake profile's made up. They, you know, you fall in love with them online, uh, and then they fatten you up uh, with compromising photos of themselves. So you fall in love, and then you're running to the bank to wire money. So if you missed that complete segment, it's worth downloading our podcast and then play it for everybody you know. Any man over the age of 55 needs to hear it. And while you're at it, you can uh, get involved with our secret contest on our podcast. And uh, Dave gives you a chance to win a pair of AirPods. (laughs) There's a turn. Smooth, Deb. Okay. Right on the money. Special coverage with Dave and DeGeneres. You know, I wanted to top off this Valentine's Day um, show. It, it hasn't been very Valentine's Day centric, but 
You also know it's Ash Wednesday, so if you're Catholic like I am, um, why are you on the radio? You need to listen to the radio. You need to be in church right now. Um, so uh, I wanted to top this uh, show off with a, a chat about uh, a survey that I saw, Dave. It's actually a compilation of data about the most expensive cities to fly to leaving Salt Lake City International Airport. And I was intrigued by this list. It's quite a long list uh, that was compiled by UpgradedPoints.com. Because I always wonder, like, why is it so expensive to fly to, like, Florida? Um, And how expensive is it usually to fly to, like, St. George? Um, And I sometimes get frustrated by not knowing which cities we we can fly to um, out of Salt Lake City um, that are, like, less expensive cities. Okay, I have a couple of experiences, uh, just barely. I flew to LAX, to uh, LA, for a Cowboys game. And for me and my wife, it cost $150 total. Round trip? Round trip. Wowie. Two of us, 75 bucks a pop. It was absolutely incredible. Did they give you a seat on the wing? Or Yeah, what? oh yeah, no, no. <laughs> we were, we were out, like strapped to outside. We were like doing the Tom Cruise a- <laughs> thing, hanging on to the side. It was It was harrowing. Uh, but I just bought some tickets to your hometown of Phoenix. Oh, you did? And it was 150 per person. So, yeah, it's all over the place okay. what it costs. So, What's the worst? Okay, though? so the absolute uh, most expensive place to fly to. These are one-way fares. So just multiply it by two. You all do the math because I won't do it for you. Salt Lake City to Tallahassee, Florida. $513 one way. Is the most expensive place to fly out of Salt Lake International Airport. A thousand twenty six for one ticket, mm-hmm. round trip. Now I flew to Miami, Tallahassee. Yeah, I flew to Miami, um, Florida, in December, and I got a great deal. I just got a great deal. I was like under two hundred fifty dollars round trip. So I think. What in the world is in Tallahassee? I don't know. Miami, I can see. Alligators? I don't know. Orlando, I can see. Yeah, it's expensive. So uh, let me go down this list here. Oh, here's another place. I'm so glad I never have to go there. And I looked up to see what's in Traverse City, Michigan. Uh, From Salt Lake City to Traverse City, Michigan. I guess the in-laws might be there for somebody. $444 one way. And that's cheaper than last year. It's down 16% than last year. And this is all out of Salt Lake? Out of Salt Lake International. I just isolated. This list is so huge. If you want to go to UpgradedPoints.com and see the most expensive domestic flights in the United States, they break down like every city. Every city you can think of that has an airport. I think if they even have a landing strip, it's on there. It's so huge. It took me forever to scroll. I was getting carpal tunnel syndrome. I'm like, they better appreciate this. Uh, Salt Lake City to Tulsa, one way, $304. Salt Lake City to Savannah, Georgia, also on the list for about $400. And that's that's clear across the country. I get it. Yeah. Salt Lake City to D.C., one of my favorite cities in the entire country to be a tourist in, not because of what goes on there, but I love touristing around uh, Washington, D.C., one way, $380 on average. Uh, These are the few that surprise me. Um, This one less so than the next one. Salt Lake City to Sun Valley, Idaho. $287 one way. Stop it. To Sun Valley? Yeah. Could you just like go boop like in a car? and You can drive to Sun Valley. Here's the kicker. I said the best for last. Uh, Salt Lake City to St. George. Do you usually drive to St. George? Every time. 
I've never flown to St. George. I flew to St. George a few times on news stories when we got to get there in a hurry. We'll either chopper down there. Uh, that's fun. Or fly down. You've choppered down uh-huh. to St. George? Oh, years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, years, years, years ago. We were in a hurry to get there, so chopper was the fastest way. Salt Lake City to St. George, uh, if you're taking a commercial flight, $196 on average one way. One way. Oh, that's bonkers. Mm-hmm. You can probably get better deals. I'm not yeah. saying this is every time. Yeah. But this uh, UpgradePoints.com, Dave, says it's um, more cost-effective to drive when you are t- when you have to go fewer than 250 miles. What's so, St. George? Maybe 350? Well, I think it's like, what is it, a two-hour drive? St. George, how fast do you drive? <laughs> look, Four I hours. stop at all of the pit stops. Um, I also stop in Fillmore and look at, isn't that the original state capital is in Fillmore? Yep. Yeah, I stop there. Sit in the big chair. I do. I stop there. So it takes me like six hours to drive to St. George. So uh, there you have it. It's kind of pricey. Don't travel to Sun Valley, <laughs> Idaho, by plane. Just drive. Maria Chaleos in with all the day's top stories straight ahead. Hey, it's Debbie here. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. But you can also hear the Dave and Dijanovic show live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday, starting at nine or at kslnewsradio.com. Keyword podcast. So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win.